Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Well, amen. The Lord is definitely worthy of our worship and praise. That's a beautiful song, and thank you for joining us in worship. If you are a visitor with us or a guest, maybe you're watching on uh, Facebook or YouTube or um, Vimeo or listening by way of radio, and you'd like to let us know you're a guest and maybe you've appreciated what we have offered in a digital format, shoot us an email at info at wilkesboroughbaptistchurch.org. Um, actually, info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org. You know how I knew that I, was, I had said that wrong? I looked up and our associate pastor just kind of turned and looked at me because I knew I'd said that wrong. Info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org if you'd like to let us know uh, that, uh, that you're a guest with us and we'll reach out to you. I saw a headline for a news article this week that made me think of this sermon that I'm going to preach. See, as, a, as kind of a, an adult and a teenager and a kid, I always loved snakes. And the headline that I saw was, Family Found Rattlesnake Under Their Bed. So it was a family in Arizona, and they called the local, I don't know, pest control, who came and collected a diamondback rattlesnake from underneath their bed. And they were trying to figure out how this rattlesnake got into the house. Evidently, the owner of the house had walked out for about five minutes and left the door cracked, which was just long enough for a rattlesnake to be found underneath a bed. How many of you would be buying a new house? Some of you would be buying a new house. Why did that make me think of today's sermon? Well, you know, snakes in a house create fear, right? They're dangerous. I'm going to talk to you about something that is dangerous as we discover biblical truths, and it's the danger of false prophecy or false prophets, false preaching, error-filled preaching. We're going to call it the folly of false prophecy in this sermon today. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I've ever heard a sermon specifically aimed at false prophets. I know I've not preached a sermon specifically aimed at false prophets, so you're going to get something new in this worship service, and I think I am as well. It's been a fascinating sermon to study for. One of the reasons I felt like we needed to look at this subject this way is because over and over again in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is preaching God's truth, but he is competing against many other voices that are saying far different things that Jeremiah was preaching. Jeremiah was inviting the people to repent and look at their sin and turn back to God. And there were many other voices in Jeremiah's day that were saying very different things. Uh, let me give you just a few quick examples. You don't have to turn there in your text. If you want to find where we're going to read in a moment, look at Jeremiah 23. But in chapter 5, verse 13, Jeremiah prophesied, The prophets will become wind, the word is not in them. In other words, the, the, the prophets that are the other prophets were not preaching truth. They weren't preaching what God had said. In, in chapter uh, 5, verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely. They say things that are patently untrue, that are in discord with what God is saying. In chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 8, the Lord says, Behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. Not only were they saying things that were false, they were writing down things that were false, that were untrue, that were not what God had said, he went on later on to say, from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. 
They've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, Jeremiah was predicting that judgment was on its way because of the wickedness that was in the land. And the other prophets and the other preachers and the priests and the others were saying, Hold on a second. No, we have the temple and, and God's going to protect us and God's going to defend us. They were saying the opposite thing. They were falsely preaching a message of hope and security when God was promising judgment. In uh, chapter 14, which is an extended section, verses 13 through 22, an extended section against the false prophets, Jeremiah wrote this, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in the place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I didn't send them, nor did I command them to speak. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. In other words, the, those that were preaching in contradiction or in contrast to Jeremiah in his own day were preaching lies, not just according to Jeremiah. This isn't Jeremiah's opinion. This isn't Jeremiah saying, I don't like that guy and the way he's talking and the, what he says, and so he's preaching lies, I'm going to call him a false prophet. No, this is the Lord saying, I didn't give them what they're saying. This is not from me, and you need to preach to them what's from me, and they will be judged for their choice of rejecting my word. The, Jeremiah names some of those false prophets later on in chapters 28 and 29, Hananiah and Shemaiah. And there's some stories that you could look at and see how they falsely prophesied in contradiction to what Jeremiah was preaching and what Jeremiah was saying. So where does that, where does that leave us? Well, let me do something that I think will help us at the outset. Uh, if you'll forgive, we're going to take a moment and look at what I would call an illustration that will help us make sense of how you and I as followers of Jesus can interact with what might be false preaching, false prophecy. How do we identify that? Is it your job? Is it my job to identify a false prophet? And how do we come at that? I'm going to use an illustration that I think will help us from uh, Dr. Albert Moeller. He's the president at Southern Seminary where I graduated, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And several years ago, he put out what he called a theological triage. Now, if those of you that are familiar with triage know that that is something that takes place in an emergency room where a nurse or a doctor is going to discern who is the person that needs the most attention first. And that's what triage means. It, it kind of identifies the person that is in the most danger. And so they look at that person first. And he suggested something along those lines with regard to the issue of doctrinal fidelity and false teaching and true teaching. And he said there are really three levels of doctrine that we need to be aware of. And, and the reason I'm, I'm opening with this is, is this. Sometimes we may be a little guilty of calling out someone for uh, false prophecy when really they just might disagree with us a little bit on an area of theology. But what would we say is actually false and we need to push back against? That's what Dr. Moeller is trying to help us understand. So there's a first level doctrinal issue. First level doctrinal issues would be things like this, the deity of Jesus. That's a first level issue. You don't believe in the deity of Jesus, then, then we're not going to be able to be on the same page when we talk about theological fidelity or doctrinal fidelity. I just finished an, uh, a, a biography of Benjamin Franklin, and Franklin was asked at the very end of his life what he thought about Jesus. 
And, and Franklin believed in God. He believed in a higher power. But he said this about Jesus. He said, uh, you know, some say that he was God in human flesh. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure I can find divinity in Jesus. And so, you know, that would be a significant concern in my mind about Benjamin Franklin's any kind of relationship he had with God because he didn't believe in the deity of Jesus, right? That's a first-order issue. If we're going to disagree on the deity of Jesus, that's going to be a problem. Other things, the authority of Scripture. We'll come back to that in detail in a moment. That would be a first-level theological issue. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity would be a first-level theological issue. In other words, if someone's saying something that disagrees with a first-level theological issue, then that would be someone who would be in the, fall in the category of a false prophet. Second-level theological issues would be things like the mode of baptism. Uh, we're a Baptist church. We're a Southern Baptist church. We believe that when you trust in Jesus, you should be baptized by immersion. Other denominations, such as Presbyterians, believe in the deity of Jesus and on the first order issues. We're all in agreement, but they believe that infants can be baptized. And we as Southern Baptists don't believe that. So that's a doctrinal issue that would fall into a second level. Doesn't make Presbyterians false prophets. I think they're wrong, but I'm sure if a Presbyterian was preaching a sermon on the same subject, they might think that we as Southern Baptists are wrong. So second order issues can be distinctive and can create some significant controversy and discussion within a congregation of believers. But just because you may disagree with me on a second-level issue doesn't necessarily make you a false prophet or me a false prophet. And then Dr. Moeller recognized that there are third-level theological issues that, uh, that are, are, are minor when it comes to their area of disagreement. And he put eschatology in that frame of a third-level issue, meaning that within a congregation of believers, you may believe that Jesus is coming back before a tribulation. Somebody may be, believe that Jesus is coming back after a tribulation. Others may believe there's not actually going to be what we would call a tribulation, but we all believe that Jesus is coming back and he rules and he reigns. So we may disagree on the, on the eschatology, but that's a third-level issue. We can agree to disagree, and that doesn't make you a false prophet. Here's the reason Dr. Moeller posed this and the reason I started out with this issue. He, he, quote, The error of theological liberalism is evident in a basic disrespect for biblical authority and the church's treasury of truth. The mark of true liberalism is the refusal to admit that first-order theological issues even exist. Liberals treat first-order doctrines as if they were merely third-order in importance and doctrinal ambiguity is the inevitable result. So one of the things we're going to look at when we look at this issue of false prophets and false teaching is that theological liberalism is in that vein of false prophecy, false teaching that we need to avoid and we need to not listen to. And the reason is because many in the theologically liberal field do not accept the authority of Scripture as a valid baseline for what is true and what is not true. But he goes uh, to the opposite error. He says, fundamentalism, on the other hand, tends toward the opposite error. The misjudgment of true fundamentalism is the belief that all disagreements concern first-order doctrines. Thus, third-order issues are raised to a first-order importance, and Christians are wrongly and harmfully divided. So here's the caution to many of us in the room and many of us that are listening. You have very strong opinions and maybe even theologically valid opinions about a particular set of issues, whether they're second order or third order, but remember where they actually fall. 
And, and just because someone may disagree with you, not every issue is worth us dividing over or fighting over. So this theological triage helps us grasp, okay, what actually falls into the arena of false teaching. Now, what I want to do is come back and look at two warnings that we get from the text, and then I'm going to give you three applications. The warnings come from Jeremiah chapter 23, which is a chapter we're going to unpack in detail in a few weeks. But we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. If you will, read with me where the Lord says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? What Jeremiah is doing in that particular chapter is he's drawing a distinction between the righteous branch that God is going to send and the shepherds, the leaders of the people of Israel, who were leading based on the preaching and teaching of these false prophets. And God makes a condemnation. He warns us and says that we're not to listen to those who reject his word. So here's the first warning. Be wary of preaching and teaching that is not grounded on the word of God. It's just a a basic affirmation. Be wary of preaching and teaching that is not grounded on the word of God. So these false prophets were speaking visions of their own mind, not from the Lord. The pulpit is not a place for opinion. The pulpit is a place for us opening God's word and saying this is what God says and this is what God intends for us to do with what he says. It's not a place where I should tell you all my thoughts and ideas and my dreams and my fears and my failures. Not that they can't come in to to help us understand scripture. They can, but I'm I'm not the source. God's word is the source. So we need to be very wary of preaching and teaching that is not grounded on the word of God. Now, we're aware that in Jeremiah's day, there were many of those that were preaching and teaching in ways that were not grounded on God's Word. They had ignored God's Word. In some cases, and one commentator actually speculates, that during the reign of King Josiah, King Josiah found a copy of the law hidden away in the temple. And one commentator speculates that might it have been the priests who decided they wanted to hide God's Word so they could go about doing their own thing and and leading in their own way. It's a very real possibility. They had neglected what God had said so they could go about religious leadership in their own way where it benefited them, where it allowed them to raise their income level or whatever it might have been. But it was a rejection of what God's Word says. So you ask me, Pastor, I know that happened in Jeremiah's day, but, but really, is that going on today? Are there preachers and teachers who would dare stand up and say things that aren't in line with Scripture. And unfortunately, I would have to say there are many of them who would stand up and say things that are in discord with first-level theological issues. We could go to the group of pastors and preachers who are supportive of pro-choice, who would stand up openly and laud the fact that women can have abortions, and they would 
uh, not only affirm that, but they would praise that and they would talk about that as being a major issue. Not recognizing that life happens at conception and God honors life and one of the first commandments or one of the main commandments is thou shalt not murder. We could look at other examples. Examples of pastors and ministers who support an LGBTQ um, lifestyle who would say those issues are culturally, uh, culturally appropriated issues. And when Paul wrote about human sexuality and when Paul wrote about gender and when Paul said this was a sin, Paul was living in a patriarch, from a patriarchal mindset 2,000 years ago. He wasn't enlightened. He didn't see what we saw. And so we can reject Paul's uh, sexual ethics and we can adopt a set, a set of sexual ethics today that, that makes us more comfortable and fits more with where we are. And I want to tell you there are preachers and there are teachers and there are ministers and there are denominations that hold to those type of values. And in doing so, what they are saying is God doesn't get a right to say what sin is or what truth is. What they're saying is we get to say what sin is and what truth is. And that is preaching and teaching that's false, that's grounded not on God's Word, but on cultural standards. You say, Pastor, but, but why are you bringing that up today? Why, why does this matter so much? Well, well, here's why it matters. Because if we say that something is not a sin, when God says something is a sin, then there will not be an opportunity and an, it, for repentance and turning to God and seeking a relationship with the living God. In other words, when God invites us to trust Him as Lord and Savior, He doesn't invite us to bring half our sins. He invites us to bring all of our sins. And if I'm not going to let go of something that God says is a sin, then I'm not going to actually be able to come to God in repentance or true repentance and receive eternal life. The danger of false teaching and false preaching is that when you have preaching and teaching that is not grounded on Scripture or preaching and teaching that is in contradiction to Scripture, those that are hearing you are not hearing the gospel. They're not hearing an opportunity for salvation. They're just simply assuaging their moral guilt by doing nice things for, for a bunch of people who may be nice or who may not be nice. And that may be great and wonderful, and they're going to church, or they're not in church. Maybe they're watching in a, in a digital format. But they're nice to other people, and they're caring about other people, but they're not responding to the gospel. They're not trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior alone. And they're not turning from their sins and preaching and teaching that's not grounded on God's Word leads people and actually pushes people not toward God, but away from God. So be wary of preaching and teaching that is not grounded on the Word of God. That, that you can't look at Scripture and say, that's what the Bible says. Uh, let me give you a second warning. Be wary of preaching and teaching that only preaches good news about this life. Look at verse 17. The false prophets say continually to those who despise the Word of the Lord... It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. I'm not sure there could be a more convicting text in all of Scripture for the prosperity gospel than that verse of Scripture. Prosperity gospel teaches that if you and I will, uh, will trust God with faith and will seek God, then God will bless us. God will provide for us financially, He'll make us feel better about ourselves. He'll, he'll kind of clear our paths, make our lives good. He'll take care of our health. 
And that's the ultimate goal of the gospel. You say, Pastor, is that really going on in churches today? Yeah, it's going on in churches not only in America, but that particular ideology is destroying evangelical churches in place in, in third world countries. One of the greatest challenges that Christianity has in places like Africa is the fact that prosperity teaching to a very poor area or poor areas of the world, they're coming in and saying, well, you trust in Jesus, great. You just believe in him a little more and he'll take care of you financially. He'll bless you. And they're throwing money at these prosperity preachers and teachers only to have no changes, visible changes, actual changes in their condition and station in life. One prosperity teacher put it this way. He said, most people, and this is his strategy for preaching and teaching. He said, most people are beaten down enough by life. They already feel guilty enough. They're not doing what they should, raising their kids, and we can find reasons. So I want them to come to our church or our meetings and be lifted up. And say, you know what, I may not be perfect, but I'm moving forward. I'm doing better, and I, I think that motivates you to do better. That's his preaching philosophy. His idea is that if you tell people that good things are going to happen to them, more people will show up at his church. Probably true because he has 40,000 or so people that were attending his church prior to the pandemic. I don't know what the attendance is now and not really interested in that other than the fact that here's the problem with prosperity theology. It teaches us to focus on the experiences of this life, not the glory and the goal of the next life, which is a relationship with Jesus. And what happens when a false promise, because God never promises to bless us financially or with good health. God has never made a commitment in any part of Scripture to take those who will trust in Him and follow Him and say, hold on a second, I, you know, you're having it rough. I'm going to make sure that you are completely protected and taken care of. God doesn't make those promises. Sure, are there some wealthy people in Scripture? Absolutely. Are there some blessed people in our congregation? Absolutely. But do you realize that is a product of God's grace, not a product of your faith level? That's because God is good, not because we're trusting. In fact, if the prosperity gospel were true, we shouldn't have the book of Jeremiah in the Bible at all. Because Jeremiah did not prosper. God told him not to, have, not to be married. God told him that he could not mourn if someone died. Jeremiah suffered, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was put in stocks. And as church tradition would have it, he was actually sawn asunder. Cut in half, that's how he died. God would have to apologize to Jeremiah if the prosperity gospel is true. It's not. It, it leads people away from the true, a true relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the grand danger of it. I don't often do this, but let me commend something to you. Uh, several months back, my wife and I watched a documentary entitled The American Gospel in Christ Alone, and it is a critique of the prosperity gospel. I would commend to you as followers of Jesus, for those of you that may be interested in that subject or, or may have never heard about it before, and you're listening today and you're saying, what's the pastor talking about? That is a fantastic documentary that underscores uh, the deceptive and manipulative nature of many prosperity teachers, and also how the prosperity gospel is not leading people to Christ, but is ultimately pushing people away from Christ because it is talking about good news in this life and not good news in eternity and good news for eternity. 
So be wary of preaching and teaching that only preaches good news about this life. So let me give you three specific applications. What do we do with a sermon like this? What do we do with a passage of Scripture that talks about false prophets? Uh, How do we make sure that we don't listen to false prophets? What do we do with those family members that we know are listening to prosperity uh, preaching? How do we respond to that? What do we do? Let me give you three specific applications that I think will conclude our sermon and help us today. The first one is this, know the Word. The single best thing that you can do to make sure that you don't buy into a false teaching is to know God's Word. Uh, Listen, one one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus is to learn Scripture. Our mission at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We do so by worshiping. That's our first step. We've done some of that today in our worship service. We also do so by learning. We learn together in groups, whether that's Sunday school or discipleship groups, or on our own. On our own, we can learn together with God's Word. We can read God's Word. Let me tell you something. If you read Scripture and know Scripture, you're going to have a really clear understanding when people teach things that are not in line with what Scripture says. You know how they teach the secret service to identify counterfeit money. They don't teach them to study counterfeits. If you want to be a secret service agent that deals with counterfeiting, you study and know the dollar bill perfectly. You know what it looks like. You study the real thing. Why? Because if you know the real thing, you'll be able to identify the counterfeits. I'm afraid that so many Christians get bound up in false teaching and false theology and and poor theology simply because they don't know the Word very well. The best thing you can do for your spiritual life in terms of making sure that you don't buy into false theology or know how to deal with it is to know the Word. And and let me make this this acknowledgement here. If you ever hear me preach something that doesn't line up with what Scripture teaches, you ought to question that. Paul commended the Bereans for that in the New Testament. He said, you're listening to me preach, and then you're going and checking what I'm preaching against Scripture. Folks, that's what we ought to do. We ought to make sure that those who communicate to us from God's Word are saying what God's Word actually says. And if we're not, then uh, we're going to put ourselves in spiritual danger. So know the Word. Uh, Here's a second application. Know the Lord. That seems very basic and a little bit counterintuitive. But it's absolutely true. Know the Lord. And the best way you can discern truth from error is by having a close personal walk with Jesus Christ. You you know who gives you discernment? When you hear somebody preach and you're like, hold on a second, I'm I'm not sure about that. That's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us understand what Scripture means. He teaches us Scripture. Look at Acts chapter, excuse me, John chapter 15 and 16 where Jesus said, the Spirit's role is to teach us truth, is to help us understand truth. Holy Spirit does it. So when we know the Lord, the Lord gives us discernment and understanding, not only to know what's being taught is true, but also to know when things are being taught that aren't true. And let me say this very clearly. You need to know the Lord so you'll have eternal life. The most important thing that you could ever do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. If you're listening today or if you're in the room today and you may have bought into some kind of false notion that your good works get you into heaven, 
That's not biblical preaching and teaching. Or, or maybe you've been told that if you will just have enough faith, God will give you grand blessings in life. Folks, that is false belief. It's wrong. It won't lead you anywhere. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And a personal relationship with Jesus Christ comes when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, I know one of the things that Jeremiah didn't have is he didn't have the full fulfillment of the of gospel understanding. I mean, he preached repentance. He preached turning back to the law. He preached, he talked about a new covenant that was coming. But Jeremiah didn't get to experience any of that. When he talked to the people, he got to show them what the Old Testament said and how they needed to repent and come back to God. And God would have forgiven and God would have shown grace. We have the privilege of looking back at Jeremiah through the lens of the New Testament. And let me tell you, you can have a relationship with the living Jesus. He died on a cross so that your sins could be wiped away and forgiven. And when you repent and turn to Jesus, Jesus will forgive you and cleanse you and allow you to enter into an eternal relationship with Him. Now, you say, Pastor, you're inviting me to know the Lord, and I already know the Lord. Amen. Did you talk to Him today? Have you spent some time with Him? Have you let Him lead you and guide you and give you discernment? Know the Lord. You know what the Lord might do? The Lord might actually teach us to spend more time in His Word than we spend listening to things that are false and listening to things that are untrue. One of the greatest ways to affect your discernment level, not only knows Scripture... Not only know the Lord, but as you know Scripture and as you know the Lord, you stop listening to things that are false. You ignore things that are untrue. Maybe you turn off the TV and other media outlets that are telling us things that are false and untrue. And the more we listen to the truth from God's Word, the more we abide by the truth, the better we'll know Him and the better we'll grow in our faith with Him. Let me commend one other thing to you by way of application. Listen to good preachers. Not, not just at your church, but there are all, all kind of preachers that you can listen to on podcast in a variety of ways that, that reinforce the truth that you're hearing at your church. So know the Word, know the Lord, and then know His people. Know His people. What do I mean by that? I, I mean this. Some of you are listening. Some of you are watching. Some of you are paying attention. And you didn't really need this message. What I mean by that is, you're at a church where you're hearing God's Word preached regularly. You're opening God's Word and letting God's Word speak to you. You're not struggling with believing true things. You're not really allowing false teaching to get in your life. You're okay. But as you've heard this message, you've thought of somebody. There's a family member. There's a friend. There's a co-worker. They, they, they just talk about all these you know, prosperity preachers or they've bought into Mormonism or they've bought into Roman Catholicism that teaches you that salvation is by works. And you're here and you're hearing this and you're like, man, they need to hear this message. They need to know that what they're doing and what they're buying into is false and may lead them to eternal damnation rather than eternal life. And certainly if, it does, if they're a believer and they've been duped by something false, they're going to find themselves frustrated with their faith at some point because their faith's not going to line up with what Scripture teaches. And you're, you're struggling with how, how, do we, how do we manage this? What do we do with this? Well, let me say this. Know His people. What do I mean by that? I mean know the people that you're concerned about. It might not be the best thing for you to do to share this message with them. might not be. They may hate your, your guts for that. 
They may, they may think you're trying to attack them. They may not. They may listen respectfully. But what I would encourage you to do is pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would maybe open a door for you to speak to them, for you to encourage them, for you to pray for them, for you to talk to them about their, 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 the areas where you're concerned. And come to them in, a, in an attitude of humility. That's why I started off with the theological triage. Don't mistake disagreement doctrinally for false teaching and preaching. Maybe somebody disagrees with you on a doctrinal issue, and I like to argue as much as anybody and debate and, and, and discuss things with people on doctrinal issues. I get to do that at the Bible college. Occasionally, our staff take different opinions on different theological issues, and we discuss things and, and debate, and I enjoy that. And I think sometimes they do too, and there can be health in that. But we don't need to confuse third-level issues with first-level issues. And so one of the things you need to do is try to figure out if there's that person that is struggling with a faith issue, with a doctrinal issue, is it a first-level issue? Because that might be eternal. That might be something worth having a very serious conversation with. Or is it a third-level issue? Is it something that you really think matters but may not matter quite as much as you thought when you walked in here for worship today? Know His people. Know the Word. Know the Lord. Know His people. Ultimately, what do we do with this? We let God speak to us. God's the authority. God's the rule. God's the one who reigns. And so as we give this invitation, maybe you want to pray for somebody. Maybe you want to make a commitment to read Scripture more often. Maybe you want to make a commitment to listen to some other preachers or teachers. Uh, biblical, godly, Christ-honoring preachers or teachers that would reinforce your faith. I want to encourage you to do that. Because we don't need to buy into the lies of false preaching and teaching that is all too prevalent in our world today. Stand with me, if you will, as we enter this time of invitation. Gracious Father, we come to you and we thank you for your truth. And I pray that you would protect our congregation from false teaching and from false preaching. First, I pray that you would protect me from ever saying anything that is false or an error or in contrast to your word. Lord God, you know my efforts to, in study and in preparation... Uh, to make sure that what I say comes from your word and is not my opinion. And I pray, Lord, that that would always be the case. And I pray that even as I grow as a preacher and communicator, that I would continually listen to you and submit to you and know what your word says, that I may never be guilty of leading people to error. And Lord, as I pray, I, I pray lifting up those who may be listening, who may have heard false theology, false doctrine, false preaching, who may be embedded in prosperity gospel, or they may have bought into some cultish idea of truth, I pray for them. I pray that they would know that they could come to you, come to you and your word and the truth of your word and respond to you. And you'll forgive them and you'll bring them to the truth and bring them to a relationship with you. And Lord God, I pray for us as your people. Uh, sometimes, Lord, we're not, we're not quite as... Um, theologically astute as we ought to be. We don't spend as much time in your word as we ought to. For that, will you forgive us? Will you help us to make a commitment to spend time with you that we may know the truth, live the truth, believe the truth, and, and honor you with it? Father, we pray that in this invitation you be worshiped and glorified and you'd remind us the importance of knowing what you say and applying it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.